If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called, in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever, you do, and, and whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Thank you, Hannah. We do appreciate your commitment to God's word and uh, being willing to stand in front of an assembly of people and saying it. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not uh, easy to, uh, to stand out from the crowd. Uh, and today we will have an opportunity to see somebody doing, doing just that, standing out from amidst the crowd. Um, I've, I've been in meetings uh, where somebody, the person in charge of the meeting will at some point say, does anybody have any questions? Right? And you're kind of sitting there, and maybe you have a question, but you don't want to stand up and say it. Right? You don't want every, to draw everybody's attention to yourself, and uh, maybe your question isn't the smartest question, and everybody will laugh at you for asking a question like that. Uh, you don't want to appear as if you don't know the answer to the question, but secretly you're hoping somebody else will ask the question. 
And, uh, if, uh, and that gives you an opportunity to hear the answer without exposing yourself, your own lack of knowledge. And, uh, and, uh, and, and potentially, if anything, anybody laughs, it won't be at you, it would be at this other person. Uh, and today we will see somebody asking questions, right? Somebody asking questions of the Lord Jesus. And as we uh, see that person asking, we want to take uh, advantage of it. So here we have somebody else who is willing to ask the questions, and we get to hear the answers. So we're not exposing ourselves and our lack of knowledge. Somebody else did that for us. Uh, but we can still benefit from the answers that the Lord gives to the man. It's, he's referred to as the rich young ruler. We don't... Uh, know his name. And in this passage, he's not called the rich young ruler. He's just called the young man. In Mark, he's called rich. But we see here later on, he's rich or a ruler. And uh, so we put it together, the rich young ruler. So this is a passage. I call it Q&A with Jesus, question and answers with Jesus. Because he asks the questions, Jesus gives the answers, uh, but we, we benefit from it. We also get an opportunity here to see what Jesus is like because of how Jesus chooses to answer the person. So as he asks questions, um, we will get to hear the answers, but we will also get to hear to see how Jesus chooses to answer that person, which helps us see Jesus better and understand Jesus better. And I did prepare uh, sheets with questions. I forgot to pass them out. Uh, any volunteers to pass those out? Uh, Sharon has them. Oh, Joey, would you like to pass some out? Maybe uh, you and somebody else can. You do one side and... All right, Shelby. Shelby, why don't you go to Mrs. Shapiro, and she'll give you some uh, uh, sheets with questions. Actually, this is uh, what you see is we ha I, I left some blanks. So that allows you to uh, uh, fill in uh, the blanks. Actually, if somebody, Michael, would you be willing to grab the pens from the back, just in case uh, people don't have pens and they'd like to uh, keep up? So you can use this as kind of an outline to the message to help you follow along. Uh, if you successfully fill in the blanks, you know that you did a good job following the message. And um, there's extra space if you want to write other comments. Uh, you don't have to return them later. I will not grade them. They're really for your benefit. OK. So the passage uh, we will look at is uh, Matthew chapter 19, we'll read from verse 16 to verse 29. Matthew 19, 16 to 29. Now behold, one came and said to him, and this one is the rich young ruler. Now behold, one came and said to him, the him here is Jesus, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life. Let me fix this microphone here. Good teacher, what must I do that I may have eternal life? That is the first question. I'll go ahead and pause, and uh, we'll talk about that <coughs> before we continue on with the passage. <coughs> so that's, that's a good question, and uh, we want to commend this, uh, this man, <clears throat> again, he's willing to expose himself. He's the one who's raising his hand in the class, so to speak, and asking the question, putting himself at risk for others to criticize him. So while we may criticize the questions a little bit, 
we want to commend the person for being willing to stand up and uh, ask the questions of the Lord. And uh, this man is already ahead of many people today. I don't know about you, but as I, um, as I uh, talk to people about spiritual things, I find that most people don't believe there is such thing as an eternal life, right? So they're not even going to go and ask Jesus about what they must do to have eternal life. So actually, this guy already is a has a leg up on a lot of people. He believes there is such a thing as eternal life, and he wants to have it, right? So for that, he is to be commended. And uh, what is the answer? <clears throat> what good thing should this man do that he may have eternal life? And the answer is, that I cannot make myself good enough for heaven. So actually, there is nothing this man can do to make himself good enough to get to heaven. That is the, the answer of the scripture. And uh, in asking the question, he reveals uh, that uh, the same problem that most people have today that do have a spiritual interest, they think there is something they can do to make themselves good enough to get to heaven. Right? So this man is in the same uh, category. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah 64, 6, but we all, like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as the leaf, as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So there is nothing, nothing that we can do to make ourselves good enough for heaven. Now, Jesus answers him with a question. He says, why do you, so he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So that is our second question, and that's a question Jesus asked. Now, we need to recognize when Jesus asks a question, he doesn't mean that he doesn't know the answer. Right? Sometimes I'll ask a question, like I will ask uh, my son Joey, or, or one of my other children, uh, what is uh, one plus one? And is that because I did not know the answer? No. no, it's because I want to see if you know the answer. Right? That's why I asked the question. In a similar way, when Jesus is asking the question, why do you call me good? There is none good but one. It's not that Jesus doesn't know. He wants the man to think about it. Right? Uh, so first of all, why do you call me good? The correct answer is Jesus alone is good because he is God. That Jesus alone is good because he is God. And we can see that from the scripture. There's four gospels written. And you almost wonder, why is all this material in the gospel? Why does it tell me about all these things Jesus did? Can't he just come to the earth and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Die on the cross, rise from the dead, you know, and say, believe in me, I'm the way to heaven. Right? Why does the gospel contain so much additional material? Well, it's to show us the character of the Lord Jesus, that he is good, he is exceptional. He is the one who was able to stand before his enemies and say, which of you convicts me of sin? And the place was silent. I cannot say that. 
you won't, it won't take you too long to find some sin or weakness in my life. Uh, Paul is uh, often referred to as the, uh, the apostle with knowledge, right? He seems to have all this knowledge uh, as he writes his epistles. And he says about the Lord Jesus that he knew no sin. Jesus did not know sin. Peter is regarded as the man of action, always doing something. And he said of the Lord Jesus, he did no sin. There was never a sinful act that the Lord Jesus did. John is known as the beloved apostle who would rest his head on Jesus' breast. And he said of the Lord Jesus, in him there is no sin. Jesus was different from all other people. He was perfect. Why? Because he was God. He was not just a man like you and me. And so, Jesus is good because he is God. Now, why does Jesus answer the man in this way? I believe it's because Jesus wants the man to think about his own definition of goodness. Remember, the man walks up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do? What good thing must I do that I may have eternal life, right? The man is recognizing Jesus as good, he's recognizing himself as a good person with a good potential to do good things, right? And Jesus is saying, you know, we'll have to think a little bit about your definition of goodness. In truth, there is only one good, and that is God. And therefore, you need to reconsider your own ideas of yourself as being good, right? And you may need to reconsider your ideas of who I am. Remember, he's calling Jesus teacher, a good teacher. Many people will say that Jesus was a good teacher, and they don't recognize that Jesus is God. And so Jesus is challenging both the person's thoughts about himself, he thinks he's good and he is not, and the person's, person's thoughts about Jesus. He's thinking of Jesus as a teacher that can show him the way, but the truth, he needs to recognize Jesus is more than just a teacher if he wants to have eternal life, right? So Jesus is trying to get the person uh, to understand the truth that will help the person have eternal life. But as you can tell, it can be hard work, and Jesus has only just began the work in this person. The next question we have is by the rich young ruler again, and he says, which ones? Right, that's a question, which ones? But we have to go back to see what, the, uh, what he's responding to. And he's re responding to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments, right? So Jesus is directing the person to God's commandments. If you want to enter life, if you have to have, want to have eternal life, keep the commandments, right? The commandments God gave in his word. And then the man says to him, which ones, which commandments should I keep, right? Uh, now, so first we want to stop and think, what is it the, the Lord Jesus uh, is doing? Oh, well, actually, no, I, I, I like uh, answering it first. Right, what's the answer, right? Which commandment should he keep? Anybody willing to expose themselves by answering the question? Which commandments does he need to keep? All of them, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Joey, next time I'll, I'll catch your hand being raised. Thank you for raising your hand, right? So all, right? I mean, that would be the correct answer. If God gave a commandment, is it optional? Can you say, well, I won't do A, B, and C, but I will do commandment D and E? No. 
You have to keep all of the commandments. Uh, and it, it does reveal, again, in the man, the same fault we can find in, in really everybody else. So again, we're picking on the man because he's the one who raised his hand and asking the questions, but he's really revealing the general thinking of man, which is always trying to lower God's standard of righteousness. When we look at God's standard of righteousness and on ourselves, there's a problem, right? We don't meet God's righteousness. So what do we do? We try to lower God's standard of righteousness. Which commandments do I need to keep? You can't possibly expect I keep all of them. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Yeah, most people can't remember the first 10, right? So what's your chance of keeping all 613? So which ones you have to keep all of them? Now, we do want to stop and think, why is Jesus pointing man, the man to keeping the law. Can somebody be saved by keeping the law? No, we cannot be saved by keeping the law. But God give, did give us the law to show us what? Our sin. Our sin. Good. Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, we are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped Right? Our mouth, our profession of our righteousness, every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's why God gave us the law. And Jesus is doing what the scripture calls using the law lawfully. God gave us the law to show us how far we, sh we fall short of God's righteous requirements for us. And so Jesus is pointing the man to the law. You want to go to heaven, you think you're good. What about the law? Can you keep the law? Is why Jesus is telling the man. Now, the rich young ruler uh, answers for us and asks a question. So the next question is, what do I still lack? But we want to consider the answer. He gives all these things. You know what? I, I skipped the passage. I, let me go ahead and read it. I won't spend much time on that, but... Uh, Verse 18, he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus does give a certain list of commandments, but it doesn't mean these are the only commandments he needs to keep. But Jesus picks a particular set of commandments that would be more helpful in convicting the man of his sin. If you would know, these are all commandments that have to do with how we treat people, right? With ending with the last one, love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to ask the man, do you love God? He would say, yes, I love God, right? And uh, a lot of people will make that profession, but you ask him, do you love your neighbor? He says that he does, but now we have something we can test, right? If a person says he loves God, you know, it's sometimes hard to tell if somebody loves God, right? If you tell me that you love your neighbor, well, let's see how you treat your neighbor, right? Now, that's something more testable, and therefore we will be able to see if you really are speaking the truth. Now, loving your neighbor is a command God gave, and that's why God says, if anyone says he loves God and hates his neighbor, he is a liar, for he who does not love God, whom he has does not love man or his neighbor or his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Right? That's what First John tells us. And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must also love his brother. 
Right? So it's a commandment of God. So if I don't love my neighbor, the truth is I don't love God either because I'm not keeping God's commandments. Right? But Jesus is focusing on what you call testable commandments. Right? Commandments that have to do with how I am treating my neighbor. Right? Because this is something that will become evident. Is this something I can really do or not? Okay? Now the rich young ruler says, he says, all these things I have done for my youth. Right? That's what he claims. What do I still lack? So that's, that's a, the next question we have. What do I still lack? I've kept all these commandments. <laughs> what do I still lack? Well, I, I gave us an answer. Now, you could put a lot of things as an answer to the question, but he lacks a true assessment of his spiritual condition. <laughs> right? He thinks, he thinks he kept all of God's commandments. Right? But the truth is that he hasn't. Uh, however, the fact he asks the question, what do I still lack, is a good indication that God is at work in this person. Right? He recognizes there's still something wrong about him. When challenged by the law, he claims to keep the law, but deep inside he can feel there's something not right. right? He can tell he's not good enough for heaven. So that's a good sign that God is working in his heart. The fact that he's troubled about his spiritual state. So that's a good thing. Again, we want to commend this person for coming and asking these questions. Now, Jesus will give him a test, right? Because the man says, what do I still lack? Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So here is the test. You say that you love your neighbor, right? But here you have a very large amount of money in your bank account. You probably have multiple houses, large estates, um, and, uh, and a solid income. And here, one of your neighbor, or many of your neighbors, might be poor. It seems in those days, there was often, and even today in some countries, you may have great wealth, right? I don't know if you've seen that in Brazil, Janio. People that are very rich, living people that might be very poor. Right? And, and what Jesus is telling to the rich person, you have a lot, go sell what you have and give to the poor. Right? Now, if he really loved his neighbor as himself, would that be hard to do? If I cared about the well-being of, of my poor neighbor just as much as I did about myself, is it hard to take my money and to take care of my poor neighbor? It shouldn't be. Right? If I really loved him as myself, here I am you know, with all this extra money in the bank, and here he is, you know, hungry, having a hard time providing care for his own children. Do I love him as myself? No. Right? Jesus is testing what he says. And uh, we see in verse 22 that the young man, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So the young man is, uh, is not willing to do what Jesus did, right? So he, he sees, and we see, the, uh, the emptiness of his statement, right? He says he loves his neighbor as himself, that he kept all these commandments, and yet the truth is he hasn't. And not just that, he's not even able to when Jesus points that out to him and he, he walks away sad, right? So that's, that's what Jesus accomplished here. 
Now, some might say, you know, Jesus, you're really too hard on the man. Right? I mean, how are we going to populate the world with Christians? Right? When somebody comes to you, you know, and you put you know, such a wall in his way of uh, entering the kingdom of God. But Jesus was not interested in the crowd. Right? He was interested in giving people eternal life, right? really saving people. And in order to really save a person, you need to bring them to a point where they will, instead of trusting in themselves, will place their faith on the Lord Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. And as long as a person thinks that there is something good about themselves and there is something good they can do to make themselves right with God, they're not ready to put their faith and all their faith on the Lord Jesus and what he did. Right? So the Lord Jesus is doing here uh, what he's trying to do, stripping him, the man of his self-righteousness. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this instrument you use when you try to solder two wires together. You have to strip the plastic off. Right? If you don't strip the plastic off the wire, you can't make a metal-to-metal -metal contact that will make an, an effective connection between the two wires. You have to use that stripper. And that's what the Lord Jesus is doing. You know, he's, he's trying to strip the man of his self-righteousness. Why? Because he doesn't love him? No, because he does love him. And he wants to save him. And the only way he can do it is get the man to see himself for who he truly is. I would also add this, that Jesus is not asking the man to do anything he did not do himself. So the Lord Jesus used to have a business. He was a carpenter, right? He used to have a home and some level of comfort with that. He used to have a family around him that loved him. And uh, Jesus was willing to give all of that up to go and preach the gospel, right? And, uh, and we can go even farther back and consider the Lord Jesus sitting in heaven, right? With all the glory of God and all the angels worshiping him and everything good and right as it ought to be. And it says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus' wealth was sitting in glory with eternal life. And here we were sinners living on the earth on the way to hell. And Jesus says, I will step down from my throne in glory. I will place myself in their condition. I will suffer for their sins so that they can have that place where I was in heaven in glory. So Jesus is really not asking the rich young ruler to do anything he wasn't willing to do, and in fact did, right? And so he's not asking anything short of God's righteousness. You want to be perfect, this is perfection. The next question comes from the disciples. And uh, the question is, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Now, they are respond, responding to the Lord Jesus, making the statement in verse 23. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man 
to enter the, enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were, were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? So what's the answer? Who can be saved? Anyone. Anyone. <laughs> Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who can be saved? Anyone. Right? Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? It's not hard to be saved. The only hard thing is to get to a point where you realize you need to be saved. Once you realize, once you're at that point, it's very easy uh, to get saved. Now, because the disciples speak up, we have an opportunity to criticize them too. Again, we recognize it's good for people to be willing to ask questions, and they are asking a question to the Lord Jesus, and they're not expressing anything that we don't have in our own faults, but uh, it shows that, again, they think that salvation requires something good about ourselves, something good about ourselves. Right? They're, they're this, themselves seems to be a little bit confused by what Jesus is doing here. Right? And they think, well, who then can be saved if a person has to do all this? <laughs> Jesus, nobody, nobody can do this. Right? And they're missing uh, the fact that uh, salvation doesn't depend on the ability of the object being saved. Let's say uh, I fall into the water and I don't know how to swim. And uh, Matt is an excellent swimmer, and, uh, and he jumps in after me. Uh, on whom does my salvation depend? Does it depend on how good of a swimmer I am? No, just how good of a swimmer the person who is seeking to save me is. Right? So the question isn't how capable I am of being saved, but how capable is Jesus of saving? And the answer for us is in Colossians chapter 1. So two chapters before uh, the passage Hannah was quoting for us. Colossians has a lot of good stuff in it. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, that is the Lord Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. That could mean the fullness of the Godhead all resides in the Lord Jesus, or the fullness of salvation is residing in the Lord Jesus. And by him, by the Lord Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. This is God's plan. This is how God wanted to save mankind. It was through the Lord Jesus, right? So when we look to the Lord Jesus as a savior, we have the very one whom God has chosen for this purpose. <clears throat> by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, and you, how qualified are we to be saved? And you, who once were alienated, that means enemies or strangers, and enemies in your mind by wicked works. We were not in any state uh, that that uh, lent to our salvation, right? We were just in the state of needing to be saved, right? That's the best thing you could say about us. We needed salvation, right? And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Jesus has reconciled how? By making peace through the blood of his cross. 
as we saw in the previous verse, and in the body of his flesh through death, right? When my sins were laid on the Lord Jesus, he suffered death. That's the judgment of God against my sins to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Again, we're talking about you. It's the same person who was alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he can present you to God the Father as holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Because of what I did know. Because of what Jesus did. Because I am a qualified person to be saved? No, but because Jesus is a qualified savior. He is able to save to the uttermost. Okay, last question. And uh, here, Peter exposes himself. And uh, he asked a question in verse 27. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I think I skipped the verse again. I'm not doing this very well. Or did I? Did I read verse 26? Let me read uh, verse 26 again. Or I'll go back to verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We are not qualified to be saved, but God is qualified to save. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? All right, so that's the question. We have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? To help us understand the question, it's good to see where Peter is coming from. And Peter was very attentive to the Lord Jesus talking to the rich young ruler. And he probably caught a phrase that you missed, and I missed in my first reading. But Jesus said to the man, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. That was the instruction Jesus gave to the rich young ruler. And then Jesus says to him, and you will have treasure in heaven. Right, so Jesus is promising, yes, sell what you have, but don't worry about that because what I have for you in heaven is so much better, right, is what he is saying. Don't worry about all this stuff you have in this world. Give it away. Love your neighbor with it because you have treasure in heaven, right? And Peter is like, whoa, wait a second. What about us, right? We have left all. You know, Lord, I used to have my comfortable fishing business, and now I'm following you? What about treasure for me? You never told me about treasure, right? I mean, Peter is, is concerned. Is it worth it, right? My sacrifices, are they being recognized by God, right? And that seems to be the question that is on Peter's mind. See, Lord, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So what is the answer to the question? What is the answer to the question? What shall we have? And the answer that, that I picked, I said that our heavenly treasure is worth a hundredfold of anything we, we may give up for following Jesus. So if you've been keeping track in your uh, handouts, that is the answer. Our heavenly treasure is worth a hundredfold of anything we may give up for following Jesus. And um, Jesus' words here are designed to encourage us because sometimes there's a sacrifice you pay when you choose to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't command all of us to sell what we have and give to the poor. Um, but uh, when I was invited, so to speak, to receive Christ, uh, I was um, hesitant because, you see, my family is Jewish. And uh, Jews don't accept Jews who believe in Jesus, right? And so I anticipated a possible rejection of my family, right? There was a chance, and it happened in other households where children were told, well, you're no longer welcome at our house. Find another place to live, right? Or uh, you're no longer my son. I don't want to talk to you, right? It's, that's not what happened to me. I did eventually, one of my grandfathers disowned me but it was very symbolic. He lived in Israel, so it basically meant he wouldn't talk to me on the phone. That was the, the total loss. And uh, the Lord promises for any loss you may suffer in following him, you will be repaid a hundredfold. How many uh, elderly people did the Lord give me a chance to fellowship with? <laughs> I, I didn't have, my grandfather would not receive my phone calls, didn't take away opportunities to still have relationship with uh, people who, uh, who loved me as a grandfather uh, would love me. Now, Jesus connects these this promises not just to this life. It is, uh, applies for this life as well, as uh, we would see if we were looking at Luke or Mark. But uh, here, Jesus connects it with his kingdom. We were worshiping the Lord Jesus this morning for the fact he would one day set up his kingdom. And the Lord Jesus is tying our blessing here to his kingdom, right? He says to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he connects it to the time that he will himself reign as king over the world. Uh, so he, he is assuring us in connection with his own glory to the same extent that the Lord Jesus will one day rule on the earth, you too will be blessed with him. Right? He, is, he is a great king, and he can reward greatly. So, so the truth is there is no loss we can suffer that would not be uh, uh, overshadowed by the reward that God has for us. If the rich young ruler would have given all that he had to the poor, you know what? He would have had a lot more in heaven. Right? He wouldn't have come uh, short for, for this, uh, this sacrifice for the Lord. 
Uh, he would have been the happiest man on earth and in heaven, right, having done it. The Lord Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he will not more than repay us for. Okay, I hope you can see in this passage that the Lord Jesus has <coughs> a great spiritual interest, uh, a great desire for a relationship with the rich young ruler, a uh, great desire to encourage his disciples as he was teaching them, uh, and a great desire for you, right? It's not just people long ago that Jesus cared about, it's people today. Uh, I had uh, the opportunity to have a, a lady, a coworker and his wife over last night. And uh, she's confused, you could pray for her. But uh, one, one uh, difficult period of her life, she went on a, on a retreat, a Jesu Jesuit retreat as I understand it, where you take this vow of, vow of silence for a weekend. And uh, during that time, the Lord came to her and spoke to her. Now, you know, she, she's a confused person, but I believe the Lord really was trying to speak to her and draw her to a relationship with himself. And, uh, and the same is true for you, right? Everybody here has the interest of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. The Lord Jesus wants to draw you to himself. He wants to give you eternal life. Right? Eternal life isn't meant to be difficult. The only difficult part is our unwillingness to let go of our sin and our idea of, of our self-righteousness and to instead accept what he wants to give us, his righteousness uh, and all the blessings in heaven and treasures far greater than anything that we could possibly have uh, in this world. So take that as an invitation for yourself to come to the Lord Jesus. Uh, the one disadvantage of not raising your hands and, and asking the question is maybe your question wasn't answered. But uh, if you still have questions that you feel are keeping you from the Lord, uh, feel free to ask me or, or anybody uh, that you know who knows the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and his interest in this, uh, in this young man and his interest in us. <clears throat> Today we pray for people here who who haven't yet entered that embrace, uh, that wonderful fellowship that you call eternal life, uh, that they might do so and even do so today. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.